Our reading is found in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to commence reading from that chapter at the opening verse. Daniel chapter 5, and we'll commence reading at the opening verse. <coughs> Daniel chapter 5, and commencing at the opening verse of the chapter. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake, and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah? whom the king my father brought out of Jewry. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing, 
and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honour. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of gold, of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God, in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene. Mene tekel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Pires, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. And we'll end our reading at the end of that fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. Trusting God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious truth for Christ's sake. Amen. I want to read again verses 4, 5 and 6 of Daniel chapter 5. Verses 4, 5, and 6 of Daniel chapter 5. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. These verses concern the king Belshazzar. Uh, he was the grandson of uh, the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He had fought a pitched battle against Cyrus, the Persian king, and he had lost, and as a result he had retreated inside the walls of Babylon where he felt perfectly secure 
The walls there were 350 feet high and they were 87 feet thick. Uh, there, were, uh, uh, there was room for four uh, horse-drawn chariots uh, to pass. Plenty of room for them to pass around the walls of Babylon. They had 100 gates of solid brass and 250 towers. The, the city was massive. According to the Greek historian of the 5th century BC, uh, it, had, it, it was uh, 14 miles uh, on one side. Uh, it lay four squares, so it was 14 miles on every side. So the circumference of Babylon uh, was almost 60 miles. So it was a massive city. And this man, Belshazzar, had retreated after defeat and he had inside that city a 20-year supply of food. There was a great ditch around the city and uh, the river ran round it. Uh, so uh, he felt uh, with the Euphrates running round his city and uh, with that great ditch uh, and the walls that were so high and the towers, uh, so many towers rising above the walls, he felt absolutely secure. He did not feel that he could be defeated. And as a result, we read here that uh, he was celebrating perhaps somebody's birthday, perhaps celebrating the fact, in his opinion, that the Persians and the Medes could not conquer him. And he called for the vessels that had been captured by his grandfather from the temple in Jerusalem, uh, and they drank wine uh, in the uh, vessels of gold and silver, and they toasted uh, the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and stone. And then at that hour, at that moment, there came fingers of a man's hand and wrote something uh, over against the candlestick. The light uh, shone upon it. It was being written on the plaster of the wall. And the king saw the part of the hand. He saw fingers writing on the wall. And the Bible says his countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The celebration was brought to a very abrupt end. And as we think about this man, Belshazzar, we see firstly his delusion. In fact, I could include another word there, his delusional defiance of the God of heaven. Here he was, utterly deluded. He was in the last night of his life and he was feasting as if he were in this world forever, as if he were invincible and even God could not touch him. Now this man had forewarning of the situation that lay before him. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 25, God had said that the Chaldeans, or if we take the capital city Babylon, they're called Babylonians as well as Chaldeans, God had said that the Chaldeans would rule for 70 years after the fall of Jerusalem. And after 70 years, uh, the reign of the Babylonians or Chaldeans would come to an end. The 70 years were now at an end. The end of his kingdom had come. 
Imagine you're told that you live for 70 years and you're in your 71st year. You've reached 70 years. Now you don't know at what point in your 71st year you're going to die. You would imagine that if you had that forewarning that you would make some preparation for eternity. But this man was deluded. You might say perhaps he didn't know what Jeremiah had written. Well, he ought to have known. He ought to have known what Jeremiah had written because Jeremiah was actually honoured by the Chaldeans. They remembered what Jeremiah had said about the fall of Jerusalem and how Jeremiah had encouraged the people to surrender to their captors, to make peace with the Babylonians. And as a result of making peace, they would be able to live in peace in Babylon or in Jerusalem. They, of course, had not listened. And they had defied uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah. All the same, Jerusalem fell. And the Babylonians honoured Jeremiah. And we believe he lived out his last days in some measure of peace. But that's, that's in a sense, beside the point. If he didn't know, he should have known. But there was something he did know. And that ought to have given him warning. And that ought to have set him searching the scriptures and searching the word of Jeremiah to find out the truth in order that he might seek God and know God and have peace with God. Did you notice in our reading when Daniel was brought in before Belshazzar he spoke very sternly to him and he told him of something that he did know. He told him about Nebuchadnezzar his grandfather and he told how Nebuchadnezzar had a great kingdom and he had almost unlimited power he's described in the image in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 2 as a head of gold and it said in this chapter whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive he had unlimited power he was an autocrat he was answerable to no one. He did what he liked. But that man, when he was lifted up with pride, went for a walk on the roof of his palace, a flat roof. And he looked out over the city of Babylon and he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my wisdom and my power? And that man had had previous warning about his pride and about his sin. And he had been told to humble himself before God. He had been told to break off his sin and to turn to God, to act in a righteous fashion. But instead of listening, he went on. And when he was boasting of his great city, Babylon, that he had established, that by his wisdom and power he had created, immediately his senses were taken from him and he became like a wild, raving animal. And they, they drove him out from the royal palace. For seven years he wandered, hairs growing all over his body and his male growing, males growing like birds' claws and eating grass like one of the oxen. There he was, a madman, for seven years, humbled before God. 
And then after seven years, something mysterious happened. God had mercy upon him. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked up towards heaven. His senses returned. And he said that God ruled in the armies of heaven and amongst the children of men. And none could stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He recognised God's sovereignty, God's supremacy, God's wisdom, God's power. Some people even think that Nebuchadnezzar was truly converted. Now, why is that of relevance to us? Because here Daniel speaks to Belshazzar and he says, Thou knewest all this. You knew that. You knew what happened to your grandfather. It wasn't something that you'd never been told about. It wasn't a family secret that the family were so ashamed of that they never spoke of it. Afraid to to speak of the great Nebuchadnezzar as crawling on all fours like an animal and eating grass like an ox. No, it was something that was well known. All of Babylon knew it. And all of the family knew it. You did not humble yourself before God. Here is a man who was deluded. He knew a great part of truth. He knew of the greatness of God. And he could have known that the end of his kingdom was nigh. And he could have prepared his heart and sought God and got right with God. But he was deluded. And in his delusion, he defied God. And he said, bring out the vessels from the house of God. Let's toast the gods of gold and silver and brass and wood and iron and stone. How tragic such delusion is when men and women are deceived and are being destroyed by the forces of hell and darkness. But I tell you something that's just as tragic. Down through the centuries and right up to the present time there have been men and women and young people who have grown up in Christian homes. They have parents who were saved. Parents born again. Many of those parents with striking testimonies of how God met with them How God saved them from their sins. And those people growing up as children, growing into adulthood, growing on into middle years, to riper years, to old age, have defied God. They've turned their backs on God. And they have been unwilling to listen to God. They have presumptuously gone on in sin. They have drunk in the things of the world they've tasted what the world is like and many of them have even come to the conclusion that their parents were deluded or their grandparents were deluded we live in a different age has been their attitude we have cast off this superstitious fear of an unreal god now we're in a new age Now we're in the time when evolution has freed us from the fears that our forefathers 
experienced. And we are free. We can live our lives as we please. They're just like Belshazzar. They don't take up vessels of gold and drink and toast the gods of gold and silver and brass and uh, uh, wood and iron and stone. No, they don't do that. But in a way, they toast the gods of this world. They say, I'm free. I'm enjoying myself. And they have no time for the Bible. They don't want to read it. They don't want to pray. They don't want to repent of their sins. They don't want to turn from the way of, of wickedness and sin. They, they hit that expression, saved. They don't like it. Don't use that word saved to me. And if somebody asked them, are you saved? They would be embarrassed. Well, that's an old-fashioned word. I know that people who, who are good living, who are narrow-minded, use that word. But I don't want to be associated with the word saved. That is their attitude. They're toasting modern thought. The gods of modern thought. And they've turned their backs on God. And so you see here, this man, he's uh, in the midst of a great delusion. He's towards the last hours of his life. Coming to the very end of his kingdom. And his soul is about to be ushered into eternity. Yet he has no conception of the danger. The awful danger that he is in. How tragic. How utterly tragic. And yet he has a man there. In his kingdom. Who has walked with God. For probably the best part of 85 years. Daniel now is an old man. Daniel has been owned of God over the decades. And Daniel has been blessed. Indeed, uh, Daniel has been raised up to a position of power uh, under uh, the king. But he has, he, has been, he has been set aside under the new reign. The reign of this I would say young man, Belshazzar, he has been set to the one side, but he shouldn't have been. Belshazzar could have consulted with Daniel. He could have heard from Daniel the truth. But instead, he chose his own way, and it was the way of rebellion against God. How deluded this man was. But then I want to, to see in the second place, the intervention of God at an unexpected moment. Look at verse 5. It says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And we are told then, then, uh, the, the king was Troubled, His countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. This man who was deluded and defiant was suddenly pulled up short. He saw those fingers and uh, there's, there's a light shining on the fingers and there's something being written on that wall 
He doesn't know what it is. But isn't it strange? He's afraid. He's terrified. It says that the joints of his loins were loosed. He went to pieces. And his knees smote against one another. Don't we talk uh, in those terms of our knees knocking when we're afraid? We can hardly stand upright uh, because of the shaking in our limbs. It's one of those expressions from the Bible that has come into our everyday language, as has that expression, the writing on the wall. We say the writing's on the wall. In other words, doom is predicted. He summoned his astrologers and soothsayers, the wise men of his kingdom, and he said, can you tell me? Can you tell me what that is? Can you tell me what it means? And they looked, and they had absolutely no idea. That increased the consternation of Belshazzar. Not only did it increase his consternation, but it increased the consternation of those who surrounded him, those who would have flattered him, those who would have praised him. It says his lords were astonished. The idea of the word astonished is almost turned to stone. They, they, they just froze in fear. They didn't know what to say. Stark terror had struck them. And uh, they were, uh, we might say, uh, left without any strength or any manliness, any courage. They were utterly disheartened. And yet, isn't it strange that they were afraid? Why were they afraid? That might have been a message of joy. That message might have said, you're going to be delivered from the Medes and Persians. They're going to come up to the city of Babylon and something's going to happen to them. God's going to smite them. Remember how God smote the Assyrians? He's going to smite uh, these Medes and Persians. He's going to destroy them. Might have been that message. Why was he afraid? Why was he afraid? Well, may I suggest one reason? One reason being that there's nothing so troubling as suspense. When you don't know, when you don't know what's happening, let's say you have an illness and you go to the doctor and you're waiting for uh, the, uh, the medical verdict. You're waiting for information. You sit there in that waiting room and you have a horrible fear. A horrible fear. Suspense. There's nothing more difficult to cope with than suspense. And here is this king and he's in suspense. Here are his nobles and they are in suspense. What does that writing say? And it troubles them. Even more when the wisest men in Babylon do not know what that writing is about. Suspense. You know, if it's like that in this world, what must it be like? If I can imagine that the journey of a soul that's not saved to meet God, just at the point of death. Now, I don't know what way this works, nor do you. Nor does anyone. But at the moment of death, let's suppose 
there's something of a pause between leaving this world and standing before God. You're on your journey into eternity. What must be the suspense in the heart of an unsaved person journeying to meet God? Afraid with stark terror. If knees smite one against another here, if lords are, are stoned and as it were completely incapable of thinking, completely incapable of action, action at such a point in time, what must be the suspense when a soul is about to stand in God's presence? But then there's, there's another thought here, and I think this is uh, even more powerful. Why, why, were they, why were they so terrified? It could have been good news. What made them think it was bad news? I'll tell you, it was guilt. It was guilt. Shakespeare made this comment. He said, Conscience doth make cowards of us all. That man, that man had a conscience. That man knew, deep down, that his behaviour was utterly reprehensible. He knew he was guilty before God. You see, every man has a conscience. We may stifle our conscience. Joseph's brothers did that. For over 20 years, they stifled their conscience. They had been so wicked in their treatment of Joseph. And for all they knew, Joseph was dead. They had broken their father's heart by their evil conduct. And then when they went down into Egypt, and the governor of Egypt spoke roughly to them and said, I'm going to keep you all in prison and just allow one of you to go back to your father and you'll not see my face unless you bring your youngest brother with you. We are told that they, they spoke to one another and they said, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he cried unto us and we would not hear. Isn't that odd? For over 20 years, they had stifled their conscience. And then when they ran into trouble and were alarmed in Egypt, their conscience that they had stifled suddenly came alive. You have something similar here. You have conscience striking this proud young king and uh, he, he's afraid now. He's afraid. His knees are smiting one another. The colour is drained from his face. And he and his lords are astonished. They don't know how to act. There was such consternation, you know, that the queen mother heard the noise. And we believe she is really uh, his grandmother rather than his mother, because when Nebuchadnezzar is spoken about here, he's called his father, but that, that's in a loose sense, just we, the way we talk about our forefathers. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather, and this may have been uh, the queen in Nebuchadnezzar's time. She may have been his mother, of course, and she heard what was taking place. There must have been such alarm 
in the palace that, that, that she came hurriedly, I believe, uh, into the king's presence. And uh, really she would have been coming and saying, what, what's going on? You all look terrified. You, you look, as, as we would say today, you look like you've seen a ghost. And in a way they had. You see, those fingers, it's like the fingers of God. And I know God doesn't have fingers, but it's like the fingers of God. Writing there. And, and all eyes are fixed. What is that? What is that? Making an indentation on the plaster on the wall. What is it? And there's, they're crying out in terror. And there's a hush. And yet there's, there's a sound of fear. And the Queen Mother comes in. And she says, There's a man here. There's a man here who can interpret dreams. He interpreted the dream of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. So at the moment when uh, they were... Uh, doing their worst, defying God, God intervened at an unexpected time when they didn't expect God to act, when they didn't expect God to move. And you know, that's often the way it happens. The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly, suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. We think of the farmer in Luke chapter 12. With all his plans for the here and now. And not a thought about the hereafter. And he's making all those grandiose plans. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee the time was up for that farmer the time was up for Belshazzar his 70 years were over at least the 70 years of domination of Babylon were over now it was time for God to step in and to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah and then there is something more that this man forgot Daniel says the God in whose hand thy breath is hast thou not glorified he was forgetting something his breath was in the hand of God we're told in the book of Acts that in him that's in God in him we live and move and have our being we draw our breath by God's permission he can stop it he can stop it in a moment he can halt our breath and then we are carried into eternity to stand before the judge of all the earth we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow for we do not know what a day may bring forth. This man had 20 years supply. He could have outlasted the Medes and Persians. He could have just stayed there and faced it for 20 years. But he had no idea 
what was going on outside the walls of his city. He had no idea that Cyrus was draining off the Euphrates, that they would come in onto the wall, that they'd open the gates, and that they'd bring their soldiers in while he was celebrating. He had no idea that all of that was about to take place. He was toasting the gods of gold and silver and brass and wood and iron and stone. He was bidding defiance to God in his delusional state. He thought he could go on forever. He thought that the God of heaven was a myth. But I say to you, he's not. He's the true and living God. And uh, what do we find? We find that God had stepped in. The deluded king was rudely awakened when God stepped in. And the end product was his destruction. If I just turn you over to the very last part of the chapter. And in the verse 30 we read these words. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldean slain. You know even after Daniel had spoken to him even after he had spoken to him and warned him and told him of his wickedness he still he, he still didn't grasp it because he said you, you give uh, me the correct interpretation you'll be clothed in scarlet there'll be a chain of gold about your neck and you'll be made the third ruler in the kingdom you'll be uh, right up uh, almost level with me in power you'll be third in line in all this great kingdom. The third most powerful man. You know. There was to be no kingdom. What good is it to be the third most powerful ruler. In a non-existent kingdom. What good is it. When, when the kingdom is about to end. When that great empire is about to be demolished. What good is it. What good is it to have an honoured place. In something that's crumbling in an instant to dust. And even after Daniel had interpreted the dream. Or rather the writing on the wall. He still, he still gave him the chain of gold and put uh, the, uh, the robe upon him. Uh, and he still uh, proclaimed him to be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel said I don't want that. I don't want that. It's no good to me. What good is it to be uh, the, uh, the ruler or a powerful figure in a non-existent kingdom? I don't want it. And he didn't want it even if the kingdom were to continue. The sad truth is that people often are deluded to the end. The, uh, the poet Lord Byron died at the age of 36. He was a most wicked man. Thoroughly immoral. Thoroughly immoral. He was impure <coughs> and wicked in his life. Even at 36, um, he, he could speak uh, of his days being uh, in the autumn. Uh, he was at coming to the end of his life. And he said, uh, the worm, the canker and the grief are mine alone. At 36... He was expecting soon to die. His impurity and his wickedness were bringing him down to the grave. And it is said that at the end of his life, Lord Byron asked this question. 
Shall I sue for mercy? Will I seek God? Will I seek forgiveness? And he replied, Let's be a man to the last. He felt it was unmanly to seek forgiveness, to seek Christ. And so in his manliness, he turned his back on God, deluded, deluded to the last. And the same is true of this king, this erstwhile great king, Belshazzar. He's still handing out the baubles. He's still seeking to exercise some measure of power and control. And the Chaldeans are on the march. They've not only come inside the city, they have come inside the royal palace. And before long, the cold steel of the sword enters the heart of Belshazzar. Perhaps his head is severed. And you look upon him. The eyes are glazed. There's no breath in his body. His soul has fled to the judgment of God. He has gone into eternity without God, without Christ, without hope, without hope. What a tragedy. And this is not simply something that happened over 2,500 years ago. This is the type of thing that is happening all the time. Men and women who should know better, deceived by the devil. Deceived by sin, for sin is a very deceptive thing. And sucked into a worldly atmosphere forget God forget about their soul end up hardening their hearts and they know not they know not until God takes them away and in judgment they stand before the judge of all the earth in that night it says was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldean slain. The end. The end. He defied God. He lost his soul. If you're not saved. If you're not saved. Do not follow. In his steps. Come to Christ. The one who sought to save souls. And who came to save souls. Who died to save souls. Who shed his blood to save souls. Who rose again triumphant. On the third day, and who opens his arms of love and says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then I say to you, who are unsaved, remember. Remember what is at stake here. What is at stake is the eternity of immortal souls. Should that not stir us to prayer? Should that not break our hearts? As we relive this story, as we rehearse this tragedy, should it not break our hearts? Should it not drive us to our knees for loved ones who are not saved, for neighbours who are not saved, for people that we work with or mingle with in other ways who are not saved? In that night, in that night, was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldean slain. He went from being a king to being a pauper. Lost eternally. 